I will be reading from Romans 12, verses 1 through 5, from the ESV version. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself or herself more highly than he or she ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. This is the word of God. How you guys doing? All right. So today we're going to be covering the final message. You know, as a church, as we've been praying about 2022, uh, can you believe it's 2022? I still write 2021. I feel like we lost two years under COVID. 2022, the theme as restoring the sense of awe of God. And, and this sermon today will be the final sermon in this series. But throughout the year, we're going to come back to the, this theme of living in awe. Uh, later, we're going to be talking about different habits that, that we can create, different liturgy that we need in our lives to be able to build and to restore the sense of all. Uh, but today, as we wrap up our first series, the theme of 2022, Living in All, a major part of restoring our all of God involves restoring and reimagining what it means for you and I to be members of this particular body. We're going to be talking about local church. Lastly, Pastor John did a wonderful job of helping us see how if we are truly captured by the awe of God, that should radically challenge and change the way we think about work. Right? He, he, he helped us see that work is not a curse, but it is part of the original design by God. And just as work is sacred, uh, church is also sacred. And so I want to do the same thing that Pastor John did, but, but handle the topic of local church, the body of believers. So before we jump into our text that was read wonderfully by our brother Daniel in Romans 12, here is a helpful quote by one of my spiritual heroes. His name's uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor, a German pastor, during the World War II when many German pastors and German churches turned a blind eye to what the Nazi re regime was doing, this, this guy, Pastor Bonhoeffer, who was a brilliant thinker, pastor, uh, leader, he was also a magician, actually, if you, if you know that. He stood up to the, re the evil regime, and all these Christians and churches were turning a blind eye, pro-German, pro-Christian. He stood up against Hitler and the Nazi regime, and one of the things he started in this season was he, he, he was part of this underground seminary and spent several years living underground with these seminarians, young pastors or pastors-to-be. And out of that season of living together in Christian community, a book was written called Life Together, one of the more well-known books talking about Christian community. This is what he says, and this is a quote that have uh, really challenged 
when I, when, I, when, I, when I thought about planting, when I think about challenges of leading the church, I always come back to the words of Pastor Bonhoeffer, and this is what he says, and I quote, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself, they become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. And then later he says, they enter the community of Christian with their demands set up by their own own law and judge and judge one another and, and and God accordingly. It is not who we built. It is not we who build. Christ builds the church. It is not who we build the church, but Christ builds the church. Uh, th- these words of Pastor Bonhoeffer have never left me. Fifteen years of pastoral ministry, I've seen my share of people come to church, our church, churches that I've served before with great excitement and genuine passion and leave just as quickly because they loved what? Their dream of Christian community more than they loved the local embodiment of that community itself, right? Their vision was more captivating than the feeble, broken, often disoriented image barriers of God in front of them. And friends, I'm not saying we shouldn't dream for heavenly community, right? When we read Acts 2, we're like, that's amazing. I'm not saying we shouldn't dream community like Acts 2. We should dream. We should dream big when we think about King's Cross, when we pray about King's Cross. We should have these big dreams. Yet we need to fight the temptation to fall fall in love with those dreams. You see, when you realize big, bold, daring dreams and visions, whether that's about our life, whether that's about our community, have a way of enticing us to fall in love with them. And when we do, whatever that is, we will quickly become disenchanted with the seemingly lack of progress from the real people in our lives. We will eventually be tempted to despise people you formerly loved. And I confess to you, you know, past five years of planting our church and seeing different people come and go and working out different relationships, I've despised people. Like planting church made me despise people. And I often thought, well, I despise people because they're terrible people. But I realize often when I reflect back on my conflict and different things that, that, that we've gone through, it's often because of my own vision for our community, right? It's what I, what I dreamed when we planted this church. This is what I wanted from our community. And I fail to love those that God has sent, those people that are real, actually, that are beyond, that are, that are even more important than my dream or vision of what I wanted from planting this church. And, and five years in, we're, we're in year five, and, and this is a repeated lesson that God has taught me over and over again. The, the lesson that it is Christ that builds. It is Christ that transforms. It is Christ that renews this community. So with that, with that in mind, with that as the foundational sort of uh, heart, let's go to Romans 12. Let, let me set the table because Romans it's such a wonderful, complex book. Complex book. I think Pastor John Piper, he spent eight years teaching Book of Romans. Can you imagine coming to church every week for eight years 
learning book of Romans. It's a very complex book. I'm going to fast forward all the way to chapter 12, but let me give you a little bit of context. The book of Romans, it is one of the most theologically rich books in all of New Testament, written by, who else? Paul. Paul wrote probably half of New Testament. Uh, and he's, he's written this book or this letter to a very, very diverse congregation. It wasn't just Jewish congregation. There were Greeks as well. And by the 12th chapter of this letter, which is our passage today, he's really getting to the heart of the letter. This is where we, we get to the meat of the letter. And in first three verses, Romans 12, 1 to 3, is really the main statement or the thesis statement of the whole section. And he says, in light of what Christ has done, we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Our lives as living sacrifices begin, right? And, and, and Paul says it begins in a place in the body of Christ, in a local community with other believers, chapter 12. So I have three things I want to unpack from our text concerning this idea of local church. One, Christian community is not for individual, but the body. Two, Christian community exists not for our consumption, but our communion. Three, Christian community exists not for our satisfaction, but our sanctification. We'll explain all these terms and meaning. First, Christian community exists not for the individual, but the body. Verses 4 to 8. Listen to Paul. He says, I say to everyone, this is verse 3, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, right? The verb, we're going to go a little, a little grammar, just follow with me. I have a reason for it. I'm not trying to impress you with my Greek, but a little bit, just follow with me. The verb here to think in verse 3 is the word Firo nero, firo nero, which means to think soberly. And the clause in verse 3, to think soberly, is in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. This is a complex Greek. It's hard to sort of break it down, but let me explain. To think soberly according with the measure of faith that's what he's saying. And the word measure in Greek is metron, which means a standard. So this text can be misunderstood to believe, right? If you, if you just read this text and you didn't really look at the Greek, look at the context, this text can be misunderstood to believe God has given each of us different levels of faith, different amount of faith, right? But that's not what Paul is saying. Because Paul has already explained this wonderful gospel. That's what Paul is saying. What Paul is intending to say here is that he is saying every one of us who are in Christ have been given the same metron, the same standard. What's the standard? Right, The saving faith of Christ crucified is the standard, is the measure of our faith, of how we ought to live out our faith. 
the saving faith of Christ crucified and that and, and only this gospel of the cross, which Paul has spent extensive time explaining from chapters 1 to 11, can enable us to measure ourselves soberly. To, to summarize, to explain it in, in a more simpler term, Paul says the standard of the way you love one another in Christian community must reflect the love that you have received through Christ who has given away his own life for you. And this is precisely how Paul is encouraging you and I to love each other in this space. How we ought to deal with each, with each other in this space. That's how we ought to view ourselves as well. That's the standard what Christ has sacrificed for us. So Paul says Christ didn't simply die so that you can live your best life now. No. Right? He says he died so that you can give away your life also. Friends, God's basic unit is not individual, but the church. If you follow the story of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, it is God continuing to, cho continuing to choose people, group of people, calling people, refining people, restoring people. Yes, there are stories of individuals, stories of Abraham, stories of Isaac and David and disciples of Jesus. Yet none of their calling was simply about themselves. If you read the story of all these characters in the Bible, it wasn't about them, the person, that individual. Each of these men and women who were called by God in Scripture were called to their community. And they were sent. And, they were, they were, and their calling was designed to play an intricate part of God's plan for the community, for the people of God. This idea of calling became very individual for us in modern Christianity, but calling from the very beginning was to a group of people, was to a community of believers. This is why in verse 4, after saying what Paul said, Paul says, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have same function." So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members of what we are, we are, though uniquely created, uniquely made, uniquely gifted, we are still at the end of day attached to each other as one body. Verse 4. So yes, we are uniquely wired. Yes, we are uniquely gifted. We have different personalities. What Jesus just did with the drum, I could never do. I would sound terrible. Uh, some of you guys, if you guys try to speak, you know, do speak publicly, it would scare you. Some of you guys, if we put you in front of a soundboard, you guys would freak out. I mean, we are, all have different gifts and different talents. Yet at the end of the day, Paul says we are still one body. So first thing that Paul wants to remind us about the church is that Christian community exists not for individual but body. So we need to belong. Second, Christian community exists not for our satisfaction, but our sanctification. 
Big word. We'll explain what that means. But look at verses 14 to 21. Look at how Paul lands this section. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thoughts to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible... So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave, leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Notice every command that Paul gives in what we just read is about, is, is how Jesus, our rabbi teacher, lived his life. This is how Jesus re had relationship with all those people that were around him. This is how Jesus honored his disciples. And Paul doesn't mince his words here. He's very clear he says, he's saying basically, imitate Christ in every relationship. In verses 9 to the end of Romans 12, we see that Paul isn't just talking about relationships in the church, right? Paul is expanding what it means to be a Christian, to not just, not to just other Christians, but out in the world as you work, as you raise your children. This is, this is sort of the bigger calling. This is, he's talking about how you and I should treat everyone both in and outside of church walls. But guess what? There's no way we can truly love those outside these church walls. There's no way we could truly love our non-Christian boss or our non-Christian coworker if we cannot learn to love one another here. And let me, be, let, me, let me be very honest or let me be very frank. If you spent enough time with each other, if, you, if you've gone on a mission trip with anyone in, in Christian community or if you've done anything more than just attending Sunday service, someone's going to bug you in the church. We will disagree in this place. We will not see things eye to eye. We may even be offended by someone in this place. You may be offended by what I say here. That happens. But what, what Paul is saying is when that does happen, when there is a disagreement in the church, Paul is, not, Paul, is saying, do, Paul is saying, do not leave the church or do not split the church. Do not break up the church, but allow these relational challenges, these disagreements and differences to grow us, to mature us. Let these experiences make us more like Christ. Because what is the definition of sanctification? Sanctification simply means we are all on this journey of becoming more like Christ. We all have different starting places because of our story and our journey. But all of us are called to become more like Christ. And that's really the definition of sanctification. But friends, mark my words, listening to sermons, singing these wonderful songs alone does not make us more like Jesus. Sanctification is not only about some inward attitude change, 
But sanctification is an inward attitude change that is translated into physical and bodily change. So it's not, do I just feel peace? But it needs to become, am I living peaceably with people around me? I mean, we've all, maybe some of us, maybe not all of us, had experiences with this supposedly this wonderful Christian and they're our boss, right? And, and, and they have huge Bible on their desk, they have worship songs in their office, but when you work and when you are in this relation, working relationship, they treat you like, they treat you worse than non-Christian bosses, right? We talked about living in these two boxes before, right? We have the spiritual box and we have the real box and too many of us, these boxes do not intersect, so really, it's not about, do I feel peace? Sanctification is not, oh, do I feel peace? No, it's about, is my peace being able to be transferred to, to peace with those that are around me? This is why Bible calls us to be a body, right? As we live life together, it creates a wonderful space to practice forgiveness, generosity, empathy, and patience. But what's really interesting is whenever there's a conflict in the church, we are utterly surprised. We're like, I cannot believe this person and that person disagree. No, we shouldn't be surprised for what? We are still all broken. We're still all on a journey. We are saved. We're in this, we're in this space of what Pastor John often talks about already but not yet, and we are to... God has given us, you and I, each other to be able to what? Grow more like Jesus. And that happens as we practice forgiveness, as we practice mercy, generosity. So the words of Paul in Romans 12 here must challenge the way we often think about even our church or our Sunday experience. They think about how we evaluate our Sundays. When I go visit when I go preach at other churches, I do this too. I, I confess that I do this probably even more than you guys, right? When we, when, we, when we evaluate our Sunday experiences, we think about how did the music, music make me feel? What about the sermon? Right? Did I sense the presence of God? What about the people? Were they authentic? Did, did, did the service move, move me? You see, these are good questions, and these are the things we, we should desire in our Sunday experience, yet those cannot be the primary reasons why we choose to commit or, or not commit to a community. Because Christian community exists not for our satisfaction, but again, what? Our sanctification. And one practical way to apply this truth is, you know, I want to encourage you guys, if you have not gotten involved in a community group, if you have not gotten involved in serving group, I want to encourage you to do that because those are the only ways that you will really, not, not only, but those are major wonderful ways where you will be able to what? Do life together. Not just attend service and, and that's it. You get to be able to work with somebody. You get to be able to serve and be able to add to the body. And one of the things recently I've realized is that a small number of people in our church are doing majority of the work. 
And I realized, like last week I was sitting with some, some people that were serving. I, I realized they're burning out, guys. We have a small percentage of people that are doing majority of the work. But if we really care for the body, what? We help out. And you know what? We can really refresh our brothers and sisters who have been faithfully serving, doing host team, doing sound, leading community group, setting up the stage. It just takes a little bit of us, a little bit of commitment from us to move forward so that the workload is shared. among None of, none of you guys get paid. I get paid. This is my job. But none of you guys get paid. Everybody comes every, out of their desire to serve the community. So all I'm asking some of you guys is get involved. Serve. Be, you know, it doesn't have to be a crazy thing. You don't have to come on stage. You don't have to know all the details of how to do the lights and sound. We'll teach you. You don't have to be the most extroverted, extrovert, extroverted person to be in a host team. Sure, you need to talk to somebody. You need to be able to say hi, but, but that's about it. You know, if you're, if you're healthy enough and you can sit there and, and help people check in, there's just different ways that you can get involved. And I, I, I tell you what, that those are the wonderful places where we can be challenged to, to grow more like Christ. And here's a third and final observation from Romans 12. Local church does not exist for our consumption, but our communion. Verses 9 to 13, Paul says, Love, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in the hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Notice Paul doesn't say, Tell your church leaders or tell those that are serving the church what you need. Notice Paul doesn't say look for the most fitting community to suit your desires and needs. But he says contribute. You contribute to the needs of others. Show hospitality. Love genuinely. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. You know, there's a really helpful book titled A Secular Age by Charles Taylor, a, a, a writer, author named Charles Taylor. And he says in this book, Secular Age, we now live in an age of what he calls authenticity. And, and the book, his book provides a devastating impact of what he calls new social imaginary of expressive individualism. Not only on our culture at large, but really particularly on religion, how us now living in this new era has really changed the way we think about religion. And, and, and he says, in this age, faith and spiritual, spirituality are mostly understood in the, within the idea of expre expressivist dispensation of consumerism, this idea of consuming. And you see today, faith and spirituality, spirituality are no longer seen as a necessarily bound up with the larger frameworks or associations like churches, denominations, Particularly because such structure of frameworks impose what? The sense of external authority. A lot of us, like, like 40 years ago, 50 years ago, it was very important when you thought about church and faith, what denomination, what external authority. But now in this new sort of modern culture, we don't like external authority. We, don't, we, we mistrust any form of authority. So that has rapidly changed the way we think about faith. 
And as a culture in large, again, we do not like this idea of external authority. In fact, we have tendency to mistrust and reject any form of external authority. I have a friend who's a dentist. And he's like, he always tells me, right now it's so hard being in medical field because every patient comes in thinking they know their condition. And so my friend tries to tell them, hey, you have cavities, you need to get that treated. And then patients come, they're like, well, I Googled and realized I don't have cavities, actually. I have something else that I call. And, and my friend's like, it's so hard to convince people that I'm a professional dentist and they should listen to what I tell them. Because, again, this is the culture. I mean, I don't trust dentists in Korea. Like, like I, don't trust, I don't trust mechanics. I took my car, and then they're like, you have to change this, this, this. And I was like, no, I'm not going to change any of that. Guess what? Uh, 15 minutes before service, Lois calls me. She's like, yo, I can't move the shifter. She was, like, stuck at McDonald's, right? Because I, I, I mistrusted. Like, I was like, these guys just want to make money. But, but, but here is... Um, we have tendency to mistrust and reject any form of external authority, right? In this era, to be spiritual is simply what? Accept what rings true to your own inner self. And this has radically shifted how we view our local church. Right? This, this has come into the church as well. We talk about church in this as, a, as a consumer. This language of choice and preference and comfort. Here's a quote from the book. This is what uh, Taylor says. The religious life or practice I became part of must not only be my choice, but it must speak to me. It must make sense in terms of my spiritual development as I understand this. This takes us further. The choice of denomination was understood to take place within a fixed kindred. Say that of Apostles' Creed, the faith of broader church within this framework of belief. I choose the church in which I feel most comfortable. See, today, many Christians' commitment to their local body of believers is as good as their commitment to their gym membership. Right? People move from one church to another as if churches in this city are nothing more than religious fitness centers. They shop for the right location, right service time, right length of service, right preacher, right kids program, right amount of, 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 of fellowship, community group, people, Bible study, parking, coffee. How comfortable is it? How, how, how awesome are people? You see, I don't have a gym membership, as you can tell. But if I did have gym membership, if my gym moves location, all of a sudden moves location, it's too far. And it, or it's too small, or it's too loud, or it's too whatever, you fill in the blank. I feel no guilt in moving my membership to another gym because what? Because my commitment is not to a particular gym, but to myself and my, to my satisfaction. If I want to pay 70 bucks for a gym membership, it's about what I want. And that's sort of how so many today view their relationship with their local church. Not everyone, but a large number of people. This is how we think about church. And, I'm, and this was before COVID. I'm talking about this is like 2020. Can you imagine now you add COVID and what we have done for the last two years to the mix? Now we could just go online and listen to thousands of sermons on demand. Listen to thousands of different songs. 
and, and if you're watching me online right now, if you don't like what I'm saying, what you can do, you, guess what? You can just go to another church. You can just Google another church, and then you could press play. If you don't like what the preachers say, you could fast forward, and you could get to a point you really like. And that's, that's sort of not everybody, but how we view the church. And like I said before, the blame can't simply be put on this consumeristic culture. It also falls on us, pastors, my friends, myself. Many of us have led our churches in a way that it is suitable for this consumeristic culture. I confess to you, right? Five years of church planting. I've done many things. I made many decisions trying to appease, trying to please this consumeristic needs. I've done it. I do it all the time without even realizing, right? But I'm grateful for this season as we come out of COVID. In the last two years, it has provided us time and space to think about what it means to be truly healthy as a community. And I really believe in some ways, COVID has gifted us a new opportunity to reimagine what church can be, to rethink and take an inventory of how healthy are we as a church? How healthy are we as churches in this city? So how do we strive to be healthy? That's the question. Midst of the culture, midst of how we have led, Paul says, simple, do not consume, but what? But commune. Verses 9 to 13, every command that Paul gives in these, in these verses is an encouragement for us to live in communion. What does it mean to commune with one another? Right? I'm not talking about communion as bread and wine. What does it mean to commune with one another? Right? You see, communion is one of those words that is, that is made up of combination of two different words. Right? There's common and union. Common, union, communion. Right? So when God brings you and I into life together, what unites you and I is not simply our culture. It is not simply our language. It is not simply our preference of songs, our life stage, or the color of our skin, or our political views. It is not even our theological disposition, even though that's important. It is the sacrificial death of Christ. That is what unites you and I. And it is, it is by the power of Spirit, power of the Holy Spirit, that we can actually live life together. So friends, my encouragement, my reminder to you this, this afternoon is that we are never saved alone. Right? When Christ saved you and I, He saved each of us into life with His chosen people. Right? A community in common. Simply put, communion is God's rescue of you and I out of our sin and out of death onto himself and those around us. And now that doesn't mean we shouldn't desire good preaching. That doesn't mean we should put up with a two-hour sermon. I'm not going to start preaching two hours, guys. Don't worry. We shouldn't want a good physical space. That doesn't mean it's not, it's not good to have great programs. It's not good to have good parking or good coffee or good space. No, these can be helpful tools for us to be able to build community. They're very helpful. 
but they cannot, they cannot be the very thing that holds you and I together in Christ. Because there are, if you look around Europe and North America, there, there are plenty of large, beautiful church buildings that have now become a, a, a museum or, or tourist sites. Right? Beautiful, beautiful, most beautiful church buildings are now no longer. Some of them have become mosques. Some of them have become something else. And again, salvation, if you, if you study the word salvation biblically, if you biblically understood the, the idea of salvation, it is both union with God and union with his people. This is why when we, when we take communion, we don't take communion alone. You know, years and years of being, being follower of Jesus, I have never taken commun- communion alone, right? I love communion. I've never taken communion alone. You see, every time we come together to partake in the bread and the blood of Christ, we are proclaiming that we are a community of believers that have been saved together by the body and the blood of Christ. Each time we partake in the bread and the wine, we'll do that in a moment, we are confessing that I cannot save myself. You cannot save yourself. I cannot give the bread to myself. You cannot give the bread to yourself. It's his body. It's his blood. And we receive it together. For this is his world, his creation, his salvation, his redemption. So friends, this is the gospel and we'll wrap up here. Jesus, the son of God, lived a life that we could not live and died the death that you and I deserved. He did that for us and because of us. And we have been saved together not to consume, not to, be, not to seek self-satisfaction, not for self-advancement. But for his glory, for our sanctification, and his mission. And this is really an important part of what it means to restore our all. And it's got to begin here as we approach relationship with one another. Again, I'm telling you, there's no perfect community. If you go to church and they say, we never have any arguments, we never, that's, they're lying. We're going to have disagreements. We're going to have differences of opinions. Not everything I preach you're going to agree with. Yet in, it's in these spaces where it's an op- those are opportunities, tra- training ground where we can come together and say, yeah, let's work this out. Let's talk it out. Let's look at the scripture and say what God, not how we feel, how we want to feel, what God tells us to do. And that's really uh, I want to encourage us as we are now slowly coming out of COVID. We'll see. Who knows? I've said that like 10 times. I don't want to say that again. But as, as we're hopefully, um, let's practice this. Maybe I should preach two hours just to, just to make a point. No, I won't. Let, 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 let's pray. Let me pray for us. Uh, and I'm going to have Pastor Mike come and lead us in the time of communion. Jesus, we thank you. Uh, for this reminder. Jesus, we, we confess uh, and we repent of our limited understanding or idea of what local church is. Uh, Jesus, I, I repent of, in any ways, I've contributed to think that local church is just a worship service or local church is where we come and, and get what we want. 
Jesus, we, we, we pray there will be a genuine repentance us as a church to move away from this idea of consuming from the church or consuming from each other and really move towards contributing, showing hospitality, loving one another, forgiving each other. Lord, teach us. Jesus, teach us the way you have forgiven. Teach us the way you have loved, the way you have received people. And Lord, we pray that that will be our blessing at King's Cross Church. The King's Cross Church will, be, will, will not be known for this amazing band. It will not be known for this amazing location. will not be known for anything other than people will say, man, that church, they love Jesus and they love each other. May that be our blessing, Lord. May that be what we're defined by. May this love that cannot be found in the world, may this peace that cannot be found in the world be visible. May that be our lot. Help us, God, to play our part. Help us, God, call us. Remind us, God. We love you. We thank you. Just in we pray. Amen.